Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And uh, we bring you not one, but two films this week. Uh, a little bit of, a, of an avant-garde short double feature. Uh, we will be talking about uh, Dog Star Man and La Jete. Uh, but first, uh, some, some, some banter and, and some recommends. And I think it might be safe to say that the first half of the show may very well be longer than the second half of the show. I, that's, uh, that's, a fair, that's a fair assessment. So, um, I, oh, dude, I watched a bunch of shit that I feel like I, I have to talk to you about. I have to talk to you about. Tell me. So, um, I know I've mentioned this, um, this channel before on the show, but there's this, uh, YouTube channel called Cinefix and they do a lot of, uh, lists, top five, top 10 things. And I always like them because there's a lot of detail that go into them and their choices are, they're never like the obvious beat you over the head choices. There's a lot of like real care and consideration. And, uh, one of their lists they did once was the top five most original films. And the way in which they, they worked out how they were going to get how they made their list was really interesting. Uh, for example, number four on their list was Holy Motors, which I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. And just, just so there's a, people can understand the, what, what, uh, what that, me trying to connect the dots here, the number one film on that list was Dogstar Man. But the number three film on the list was a movie by a filmmaker who I have, you've talked about a lot on the show, and I've never quite delved into his filmography. So, the other night, I watched Gaspar Noe's Enter the Void. I've not seen this one. I've seen uh, I've seen Irreversible. I've seen Love, and I have seen Climax. Enter the Void yeah. is is the big uh, blank spot for me. Uh, there's a key word that you just used there that I think is ultimately what holds this movie back for me. Big. Um, it's. It's two hours and 40 minutes. And I got to tell you, after about the first hour, it was, I mean, even with as, as I mean, filmically, what Gaspar Noe is doing in that movie is really interesting. And, and in terms of like original films and original filmmaking and why it made their list, I totally get it. But the story that's being told could be told much, much quicker than how they do it. It is... Um, it's very indulgent. It almost feels kind of masturbatory in a way. Like it just kind of keeps, it just keeps going and it keeps, I, and after, after, I, I don't want to spoil it in case anybody hasn't seen it, but there's a pretty pivotal moment that happens with like in the first 10 minutes of the movie. And then the camera in a way kind of takes on a life of its own. And like, that's all interesting. And then we sort of, we're sort of, we're, we're we're with this main guy and we're, we're sort of with him in his present, but we're also glimpsing back to his past. But once we, once we kind of get all the information that we need, the rest of the movie just, it just feels like, what are we, what are we building to? What are we trying to get to? And then it, it and it, it doesn't really even become about him. It becomes about his, 
his sister and I don't know. I I don't want to dissuade you from watching it because I think it is an interesting movie and it is certainly made um with some real technical fervor. The um the opening credits of this movie just fucking start like I I would I would encourage you just just to <laughs> just YouTube the opening credits of Enter the Void because like it's not the best part of the movie, but talk about launching you into a fucking movie, man. I I was I I was sitting there with my beer and like fuck fuck man, yeah, I'm going to fucking watch Enter the Void and then like it was so my buzz just died and it never came back and it was I don't know, I my the fire was so big at the start and then it just went away. That's such a that's such a bummer to hear. That is the the runtime honestly has what is what has put me off so far to this point. Like you you look at the so the the three that I mentioned and now this one, right? So you've got Enter the Void and Love and both of those are long as fuck and they are you know, as you've just said with Enter the Void and if you haven't seen Love, Love is very indulgent and literally and figuratively masturbatory. Oh uh, yeah. I, I have I, I'm aware of its opening scene, yes. Yeah. Um and then you have the other two, Irreversible and Climax, which are both very short and punchy and sharp and to the point. Uh, that's those of, of everything of the three that I've seen. Those are the two that I think are are definitely the best. I mean, love, love just goes on and on and on. It's I mean, there's great performances in it, and it's definitely provocative. But it's uh, it's going to test your patience, and as was... it, as it sounds like Enter the Void certainly does. I was so close to picking Climax, but I thought because I was I was revisiting this top five list and Enter the Void came up and I was like, ah, oh, man. All right. All right. I'm going to I'm going to watch this. And, um, it's, oh, you know, you got to do Climax. I mean, Climax was uh, what it was it was either 2018 or 2019. But that that is a movie that made me go back and reevaluate my top 10 of whatever particular year that came out. Climax is it's some kind of masterpiece. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it's, and that, that hasn't left my brain to see that movie, but uh, you know, I gave this one, it's, it's due and I watched it. I didn't give up. I, I, there was a time about an hour and a half in, I was like, ah, I still got like a whole movie left. Don't. Yeah. I? And, yeah. Uh, well, know. let's, seeing as though I'll, I'll spoil it now, I don't have a list for this episode. So what's on the rest of that top five? Oh, perfect. Yeah. So the Cinefix is top five, uh, <laughs> top five most original films of all time. The number five is kind of a cheeky one. It's the round hay garden scene. Are you familiar with the round hay garden scene? I am not. This is news the to me. Hay garden scene is the first ever filmed anything. It's, it's, I think it's 12 seconds of, um, just people walking in a circle and that's it. Um, so they were giving, uh, in terms of original, they were going with like, first so that was their number five i thought it was a kind of a fun cheeky number five see that's funny i thought the uh i thought the two blacksmiths were the the first films and it, maybe that was it, they must have been very close together well and again it's it's uh the, the if you if you watch this list they're very clear about saying that this is not a movie and it's it's not the way that it was made isn't even the way that it, that most films were made it was on a completely different con contraption but it technically i think was the first moving pictures Okay. To, okay. Yeah. Um, number four was Holy Motors, uh, which, which is we, a, we've we've talked about a little bit. I think phenomenal it was movie. Was it? My, uh, yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah. Um, number three was Enter the Void. 
Uh, number two is a movie that I, I'm interested in seeing, but I, I have had a hard time trying to find it. It's called The Five Obstructionists. Oh, again, this is news to me as well. I don't know this it's, one. So it's um, so The Five Obstructionists is uh, it's it's um, Lars von Trier challenges uh, I think his mentor, a guy named Jorgen Leith, um, to remake a cl- a short film that he had made under five different um. I don't know, five different constraints, five different methods. And these, so these two filmmakers take this short and they re-examine it five different ways. But it's also this idea, it's, it's like a documentary of this guy sort of talking to his mentor, but it's also a movie where these guys are recreating a movie five different ways. So ultimately, I think 10 different ways because it's two different directors going at it. Um, I've never, I've never seen it, and I've only heard of it because of this list. But it, it you know, it, it interests me, and because again, I, I do think that they, they take their sweet time to make these lists. I'm, I'm curious to find it. Um, well, I'm, I'm pumped that both Gaspar No, and Von Trier are on this list. Oh yeah, yep. And then uh, number one was Dogstar Man, but they also do. They do a really good job of like when they're when they're talking about films of showing you examples of other films that like would sort of fit that um, that mold. Like when they were talking about when, when ultimately they went with Holy Motors, they they referenced Memento, they referenced Mulholland Drive. They uh, there was oh, what they I mean they they give you plenty of examples. When they were talking about their number one, um, it was so funny because it ultimately went to Dog Star Man, but they referenced La Jetée, which I thought was also kind of funny that we're doing this 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 double feature of movies that are like couldn't be more different in terms of how they were made and yet sort of are these pinnacles of of abstract short films from the 60s so anyways that so yeah that was the cinefix top five most original films of all time oh shit that sounds like a great list i'd love to do an episode just on those movies Oh yeah, I dude, I seriously, I their lists are, are great. I I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of that channel. And I'm sure you'll you'll bulk at it, but I'm hoping somewhere in there there was mention of at least you know Herzog in even in a roundabout kind of way. There's one of his that I've been meaning to do for some time. I'm going to try and do it this weekend called Heart of Glass, which is uh, it's a movie where he hit, had all of the actors hypnotized. So I mean, I'm based on that alone. I'm in. I. All I can say is Godspeed. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yes. Yeah. Uh, bliss- blissfully, it's short. I think it's 93 minutes. <laughs> um, okay, so I've got... I, uh, uh, man, I've got at least two other things I want to bring up, but I want to I I pass the baton to you. Well, I, I had a... Man, I had a weird week. I think I've been having weird weeks, just in general. Uh, but I, I'm not, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I watched Coming to America... You mentioned this, yeah. and it's uh, it's not good. It's not yeah. good. I don't know what I was expecting. Something better than that. Dialogue may as well have been written by a five year old. I mean, I oh, really it, it was. Yeah, I I mean, I really I want I really want the Eddie Murphy comeback, and it's just not happening. I I think the problem with that is if he's gonna if he's only gonna continue to return to IP, it's not gonna work. Like he needs to. He needs like he needs what the Safdie brothers did for Adam Sandler. He needs a director to be like, no, <laughs> don't do what you've been doing. <laughs> do this. Um, but the and I, I actually listened to a really interesting um, not Mark Maron because uh, I didn't listen to that one. But um, 
a, a discussion about Eddie Murphy and this idea of like the level of stardom that he had, the way that he basically ran the eighties, like it's, it's hard to be that famous, that young and want to relinquish control. Want, want to let anybody sort of say, ah, maybe you should do this instead, you know? And, and I don't know. I, I, I hope that too. I hope we get that Eddie Murphy Renaissance, but if, if it's like Beverly Hills Cop Four, or I don't know, Big or uh, the Nutty Professor Three, or I, if it's anything like that, it, it's just no. I, I I mean, I was interested in seeing Coming to America, and I didn't hear a single I didn't hear a single good thing about it. And not that like I've heard I've heard everywhere from like Garbage Fire to Ah, it's just fine. But if nobody there was not one like, oh yeah, I enjoyed it. I, there was not a single, I enjoyed it. So I'm, I can't give my time to that. I know. The, the best thing about it was that it ended. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I love Eddie Murphy. I, from, from the bottom of my heart, I adore Eddie Murphy. And I just, I want, I don't know, I want that old Eddie Murphy back. But you're also right. It's, that's, it's not going to work. He needs somebody, like you said, the Safdie brothers. Or I was even thinking, like, God, imagine, imagine Eddie Murphy in a Scorsese movie. Yeah, yeah, uh, that'd that's, be awesome. That, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I would love to see him do that, but I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the the elephant in the room that we got to talk about, because I know you've done it too. I said, and I, because I just, uh, I just today listened to our um, our Roman Holiday episode to go back and edit it, help you edit it, and give you notes and things like that. And I mentioned on the episode that I was not in a rush to do. Zack Snyder's Justice League, but because yeah. I had fuck all to do this this past weekend, I did it anyway. Yeah, and I did it in one sitting, like a jamoke. <laughs> I mean, I think it, I think it's split into to seven parts for a very good reason. You you fucking putz! I mean, what are you doing? What are I you know, doing? I know the fucking nutcase. I'm a glutton for punishment. I mean, you're you're looking at the guy who did like within two weeks of each other. I did the full six hour. West German television version of Dao's Boot and the full five and a half hour version of Novincento, Bertolucci's 1900. I did those each in one sitting, like two weeks apart, and just broke my brain. So I mean, I when it comes to when it comes to marathon and shit, I mean, I'm I'm in check. You know, I can I can sure. do that. I have no problem yeah. sitting through yeah. four, five, six hours or something. Uh, I'll, I'm going to come out and say it. Like, like I've said numerous times on the show, I'm happy that it's happened. Justice has been done. He's been allowed to finish his version, and, and that's and that's all great. I only liked about seventy five percent of it. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, copy your sentiments exactly, and but uh, so the two things I would say is that I would say twenty twenty of that twenty five percent of it that I didn't like was that I I thought the needle drops and the slow motion were not good. I just yeah. Didn't. That's we've seen Snyder it, do it, that. That's nothing it was excessive, new. Yeah, nothing special. Um, but the seventy-five percent that did work was about sixty. I mean, that was sixty percent, seventy percent better than the original Justice League. Like, I actually, for the like, I, I really enjoyed. I actually enjoyed myself, and breaking it up made sense. Um, for us, I mean, mostly because we had kids and we we literally had to. There's there was no way for us to watch this in one sitting. Where <laughs> that that just doesn't. We don't live in a world where that where that's real. Um, but uh, I also I, I don't I don't know I, you know, and now I'm I'm I, it's just like 
I, I agree that, that it's, it, I think it's obviously, it's, I think it's amazing that he got a chance to do this, but like now it's like, they're going to, Oh wait, like coming soon, the Snyder cut in black and white. And I'm like, okay, can we stop? Yeah. You, you got it. You did it. It's that's great. Let's not, we don't have to do anything else extra like that. That doesn't make any sense to me. I, I said this to Liz uh, when, so we finished it. And then I saw literally 10 minutes after finishing it, I saw the headline saying that, Oh, next week, the Justice is Gray version is coming. And I went, dude, come on. Who didn't validate you as a child? Like, what What more do you need, man? I, but part of me wonders if that's an HBO Max decision or, like, you know, who's who's really making that call? Who really is uh, apparently, apparently him. I was yeah, reading well, in the article that that's, it's his preferred version. Like, he saw, he, like, had it in black and white on his laptop. And that's, like, just how he grew to know. It's same in the same thing with with uh, Mad Max Fury Road is, I mean, they had that film storyboarded more than a decade in advance, but all the, the storyboards were in black and white. So that's how they came to know and love the movie. And so it, for them, I think it made sense sure. to uh, to do the black and white version, which is crazy to me. This is a total sidebar, but while I've got Mad Max on my mind, the fact that, I mean, George Miller was doing pre-production in his offices on, uh, God, what was it? Happy Feet surrounded by the storyboards for for Mad Max Fury Road. That's got to be that's got to be a trip working in that office. Uh, <laughs> but yeah man, I mean I I got to say I was uh, I was really compelled least, yeah. by going back to Justice League really compelled by the uh Steppenwolf character. I think it was a fucking great villain. I think I bat like a real badass. I mean I not to be the guy that does the whole Marvel versus DC thing. Cause I mean, it's like apples and oranges. They really are going down their own paths, but he was more engaging as a villain to me than Thanos, if I'm honest. And I think, I think it, I think it's unfortunate that the DC hasn't been able to write the ship. Uh, there's been so many different people with so many different visions, because if they had, if they had one unified vision, I think you could say that with the culmination of his justice league, they would have been able to do in nine movies what it took Marvel 23 movies to do. Potentially, but it, it's, yeah, it's so hard to know. It, yeah, it's hard to, 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 I mean, it's a great thought experiment, but hard to know yeah. how that actually would have. Yeah, but I was, uh, yeah, I was compelled by most of it. Yeah. Pretty much all, all of it, almost all of it. I think, uh, I think it's a shame that he he felt the need to include that nightmare sequence at the end, considering that now we know that he's not going to make Man of Steel 2 or, or Justice League 2. Like, right now, that movie should end, spoiler alert, should end with the scene with Lex Luthor and Deathstroke on the boat. There you go. That's the end of the movie. Still a little bit of a cliffhanger, not the huge... 15 minute cl- it gets into the lord of the rings multiple endings territory yes, with that kind of thing it really did it I, the, the epilogue section should have said epilogues yes because it, it was more than one uh, it certainly was so i'm yeah i'm all for like if i if and when i watch it again i'm just going to get to that lex luther scene and then stop yeah because that's that's the end of the movie in my mind and i did feel cheated that scene between martha and lois lane they're 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 commiserating that was it yeah. was unfortunate that when we step out into the hallway we realize it wasn't really martha i felt really cheated by that like let them what the fuck just let them have that yeah 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 i don't know but like i said i mean 75 percent a really great movie yeah no I, I i certainly enjoyed it for what it was um 
unlike Enter the Void, which um, the 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 next thing I want, but I have one more thing before uh, we, but before my recommend. Um, so I, you know, I, you know, Enter the Void didn't. I I wasn't you know praising that movie. So I, but it was early enough in the day. Melissa wasn't feeling well, and so I was just kind of downstairs. And I I so I watched one more movie that I actually really enjoyed. Um, that in another week might have been my recommend, but uh, I watched Ghost Dog. The Way of the Samurai. Awesome. That's uh, again. It's uh, I'm a big Jarmusch fan. He's another one of those provocateurs that I love. But this uh, Ghost Dog is a blind spot for me. Yeah, I, I, whenever I, you know, I can't keep track of this shit. At some point, Barnes and Noble or or Flash Sale or I don't know. I picked up the Criterion, and um, yeah, I, I, it's it's not. It's one of those movies that I'm not surprised that like a lot of people don't talk about it. Not a not a whole lot happens in it. Plot wise, it's it's pretty simple. Uh, uh, Forrest Whitaker plays this guy who um, was like, a, as like a late teen, maybe was like getting bullied and like uh, was getting the, he was getting the shit kicked out of him. And this basically like this Italian mob guy saves him from getting the shit kicked out of him even worse. And this this mob guy kills this dude who was beating him up, and thus Forrest Whitaker, aka Ghost Dog, in this movie sort of is beholden to this guy who saved him, and and it really embraces this samurai lifestyle. And so he's, he, but he does, he basically does hits for this guy uh, until there's basically a hit that goes wrong. And now the mob is after him. Um, and that's, that's basically it. That's the movie. He's, he's evading and saving his own neck while not killing the man who, who saved him, even though he's one of the people coming after him. And it's a movie about ethics and it's a movie about, you know, uh, sticking true to what you believe and um there's not a, i mean i'm i'm sure there are other people in the movie who are recognizable but I, I i'll be totally honest like i don't know them i don't know them by names i mean there's at least four people in the movie who were in casino they're all just people in casino but i don't like i don't know their names they're all yeah, old yeah. italian dudes who <laughs> who just fit that they just they're in those movies um but forrest whitaker's really good uh well you know i've talked shit at length about Forrest Whitaker on this show in particular in the crying game. I'm very aware. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but no, I don't know. It was something the, I, one of my biggest letdowns though, is we see him training with, uh, like a, a sword and different kind of weapons at one point, but he only, he only ever uses a gun when he goes out. And I was part of me was like, God, why isn't he like, where's his fucking samurai sword? Like, like waste somebody with a sword. Um, but I don't know, man, I was, I, I liked it. It's it's not going to make my top anything, right? But but it's a good movie, right? It's a good like I can't pick any faults at it. It just doesn't it doesn't rise to the top necessarily, but a good solid flick. Yeah, I mean, with Jarmusch movies, I mean, they're just they're an experience. You just have to kind of give yourself over to them because it's the the it's all about the journey. You yeah. know, rather than the end point with with almost every single one of his films that I've seen. I'm, so with Ghost with Ghost Dog, I'm kind of thinking, I'm getting a vibe of Jarmusch doing a cross between like Leon and Le Samurai. Is that kind of my kind of in the ballpark? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Le Samurai. The um, oh god, the uh, the Criterion box set. It's like it's like Melville meets somebody else. I, I forget who the somebody else is, but Melville was somebody they 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 drew out. And it's, but it's cool because it's it is Melville, but it's also got this like RZA did the score for it, right? So it's oh, got there this go. like this heavy hip hop beat in the background, while also dealing with 
all of this samurai stuff, all the samurai language, while also dealing in this world of like organized crime. It's really, it's a lot of worlds colliding, and yet it 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 totally works. It totally works. No, I'm I'm excited to see it. It's on my it's on my Criterion wish list. Maybe the next flash sale, I'll I'll pick that up along with. I still don't own the samurai, so maybe I'll have to get myself that and do a little double feature. Oh man, I know. Oh my, one of my favorite double features of all time. I did. It was when we we. Oh, I forget what we what we were talking about. But I did. I, I double featured the Samurai and Drive. God, that was a fucking That's, awesome night. Yeah, there you go, man. Because like I said, I think when we talked about, it, I mean, there's no way that Winding Refn isn't a Melville fan. Yeah, yeah, ha, I, I, yeah. I'd be I would be baffled if he yeah. wasn't. Yeah. So if you want to go into recommends, I mean, I don't know what yours is, but I do. I'll I'll I, I'll keep mine brief because mine is a short film. Because I, I think I told you I was struggling for recommends this week. I actually spent most of my week either watching, you know, the shorts that we're, we're doing for this episode, and I was either it was either comfort food for me, or batshit craziness like yeah. uh, the Jesus rolls. <laughs> I still don't know where I stand on that fucking bizarre experiment, but I mean, yeah. it, it it fucking is what it is. Um, so my my recommend is a short film called More. I don't know if you've heard of this one or not. It's a it's a claymation short film. Uh, it was nominated for an Oscar uh, in 1999. Uh, Mark Osborne is the name of the guy that created it, and the soundtrack is by a band that I love, New Order. Uh, it's super short, seven eight minutes, something like that. But it's this guy working in this like really drab, dystopian future looking place and they're making these these goggles these they put these happiness goggles on and you see the world through rose tinted glasses and he's decided that he he's sick of that that view of the world he creates his own instead of you know happy glasses he creates bliss glasses and it ends up like climbing the ladder and becoming the boss and it's, it's very circular uh the characters all have or at least him yeah, so I assume all of them do. Uh, they have this door that opens in their stomach, and there's a fire in there. There's a, a light, and of course, as he as he becomes the boss, that light sort of starts to die. And so it's this interesting parable of like how much is enough, and and uh, you know, what is it that really keeps the fire and drive inside you? It's a a beautiful little short, actually recommended by co-worker of mine max he told me about this short like a year ago so sorry it took me so long max but I've, I've finally seen it and it is it's one of the greatest pieces of animation i've ever seen i loved it absolutely loved it you know, i think i i think i have heard of this i know i know i haven't seen it but i i just quickly looked it up and it does look familiar yeah I, you're gonna you're gonna like it a lot um i'm dude i'm excited about mine i I'm actually really jazzed about mine. So uh, mine is a film that came out last year that was on like, I don't know, maybe it was Variety or Vanity Fair or somebody. Somebody, there was a list of like the top 50 films of the year. And, you know, a a list that big, it's like, it's, I go through it and I go, shit, I don't, what the fuck is this? Um, But there was this movie that had a title that really drew my eye. And I was like, that's a weird title. I watched the trailer. I go, that's pretty cool. And I kind of pushed it off, pushed it off, pushed it off. And finally I watched this movie and it's called, Synchronic. Have you heard of Synchronic? I have heard of Synchronic. Is that uh, Anthony Mackie in that? It's it is. It's Anthony Mackie, and it's um, what's his name? Jamie Dornan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, yeah, the Fifty Shades guy. Fifty Shades. Um, yeah, yeah. The, oh man, uh, this movie is is 
like the all the kinds of weird that I like. And uh, basically, these uh, these these two guys play. They're they're they're. It's set in New Orleans, and they're paramedics. And um, they I, like they have a couple of they have a couple of calls where there has been some really bizarre deaths um, that have unexplainable causes of of like like people being bit by a snake that hasn't existed in in in, in years or people uh like having having been stabbed by a sword from like the 17th century but it they're all linked to this designer drug that is um meant to uh it, it does something with your penile gland and basically i don't i don't think this is giving too much away but uh anthony mackey is is dealing with some some uh, psychological and physical stuff going on with him and uh, through um, some some things that prompt him to he starts messing with the drug himself uh, but he, he does it very experimentally right he, he's videotaping himself he's talking about like things that he's learning what are the rules of this drug and stuff and I it I loved it I love movie that kind of has a character explain kind of what's going on as they go through it and and both these guys are going through their shit, you know. I mean, Anthony Mackie is alone and he's dealing with this like this affliction that he's dealing with. And then Jamie Dornan is this is this married guy who um, seems to have a pretty good family life, except for he's got he's got two daughters. One is eighteen and one is like months old, and that's that's how far apart his kids are in age. And so he's he's dealing with a daughter who doesn't want to be at home anymore, and also an infant. And um, and, and that's about all I want to say because if I go any further, I, I might tip my hand in what like what's going on, and I don't want to do that. Um, and it's by two guys, I, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. I looked up; they're two guys that work together. I have not seen like the three or four other things that they've done, um, but I don't, this is my kind of weird. It's it's like a sci-fi weird, but still rooted in reality. Well, I it's it's been on my radar for a while. I was I was looking at. The, the synopsis, they're two ambulance drivers, so I was thinking, I was extrapolating maybe this is something like a psychedelic version of bringing out the dead or something like that, but no, it's, probably not even close. No, it, go, it goes so far, it's not, it's not about speaking to the dead, it's not about this relationship with, with, with the victims, it's more about this drug, and, and essentially, uh, no, I don't want to, I, I don't want to even go there, it's, it's, it's what, where this drug can take you, um, and why it has more of an effect on on uh, younger kids, like teenagers versus adults, um, and uh, I don't know. I I have to. I really want to tiptoe around this because I don't think this got a lot of play. I don't think this is a movie that a lot of people have heard of. Um, it, you can rent it through any any platform you want to, um, but it is good i mean like i know i know i i think a recommend i did a while ago was low tide and i i liked it but i was like ah, i don't know if people will whatever whatever this no no no. this is like an indie film that that doesn't look like it i mean this thing looks like it's got a huge budget um they and i mean and both guys are great in it i mean it's it's the story is great the the effects are great cannot recommend this movie highly enough a nice sci-fi thriller like on a budget but you wouldn't fucking know it Oh, that's awesome, man! Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I will definitely bump that further up the list then, because as I said, it's been on my radar. And coming back to Low Tide, I mean, you you really undersold that, man. That movie <laughs> that movie was fucking great. I I, I mean I, I don't know I, I it, but that's but I also I like crime movies too. So it's like yeah. I think I think 
it's hard for me. It's hard for me to know if it's a good crime movie or not because if it's a crime movie, you've almost got me anyway. So, so I don't know. Like, it's hard for me to go, you know. But it also, it's got like it's like Stand by Me. It's like Stand by Me met a crime movie, and that's yeah what Low Tide was. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm a I, you know me. I'm a crime movie snob. I mean, I use Heat as the yardstick, which is, I mean, kind of kind of playing with loaded dice if you're trying to compare everything to heat yeah that's fair that's yeah <laughs> well awesome well two two wickedly uh different recommends there we've got a short film more and synchronic those are our recommends this week and now we're just gonna get into it and um ian i'm gonna open the floor to you with the first of our short films all right well uh the first of the short films is called Dog Star Man. Uh, this one is a bit of an interesting case in the book uh, yes. because, I mean, they've even got the runtime wrong. The prelude is 24 minutes and they have 30 minutes. So I, I think we're under the assumption that in their minds, only the prelude should be a part of the 1001 movies you must see before you die and not the full 75 minute film. Yes. Which now, is really we interesting. Did our, we did our homework. I, you watched the whole thing? Yes. And as as did I because I mean in for a penny in for a pound, right? It also it also amazed me to find out that there is a what somebody called an unraveled art of vision ver there's a four and a half hour version of this thing and it's straight off the bat I don't want to tip my hand too much, but this is it's a long seventy five minutes. Oh so it I, was a long it was a long twenty five minutes. Yeah, yeah. I can't I can't imagine a four and a half hour version. That's like a that's like a museum piece, like an art installation or something. I I, yeah. I don't know, you just you drop in, drop out, you don't need to see the whole thing. <laughs> anyway, this is this is written, directed, shot and edited by a guy named Stan Brackage. Uh also starring him and his wife, Jane Brackage. They were married for thirty years. Uh what, an interesting piece of information I found out about her, and I didn't, I didn't go watch the movie, but uh, one of the first things that they did together was a film called Window Water Baby Movie in 1959, where he filmed her giving birth to their first child, which is kind of, at that point, I mean, that's kind of just a glorified home movie, right? Uh, yeah. Which is kind of, again, I'll tip my hand early as well, Dogstar Man kind of has that glorified home movie feel to it. I mean, albeit very subliminal. And I shouldn't go too far into it. We'll get into the, the meat of it. But it's a, as, as we've mentioned, this is, these are avant-garde films we're talking about today. This one, I think probably the more experimental of the two. Yes. Maybe, maybe to a fault. Uh, so the basic plot, if you can say that uh, there is a plot, it's about a man climbing a mountain with his dog. I mean, that that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, this, 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 it's interesting, man. This movie has quite a wide margin when it comes to the old Rotten Tomatoes. This has a perfect 100% critical, but yep. a 60% audience, which may be one of the widest margins that we've had on this show. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's, we're going to, seeing as though I'm here running Dogstar Man, I'm going to reverse the tables. Adam, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? <laughs> it, it was in 1992, although I, I have no other information on that. So if you, if you can, if you can help add some of the films that might also have been inducted that year, I would certainly appreciate it. I, I can't because I was just floored 
when I heard that this is preserved forever and all time. This is in the National Film Registry. We are always going to have Dog Star Man, which tells me that I, I, I'm disconnected from the world of the 60s. So to, to, to carry on with the sort of history of the film, it was, uh, it's, it's five parts. You've got a prelude and parts one through four. The last three parts, all much shorter than the rest of it. And they were released uh, over, a, over a few years from 1961 to 1964. Um, I mean, this, that's it. I mean, the National Film Registry is really the only accolade. In fact, yeah. there isn't even... I couldn't even find a nailed down release date for this thing. Yeah. Other no, than yeah. that time period of 61 to 64. Yep. That's all. That's all I found too. Which um, is, I, yeah. I don't know why it took that long to release the whole thing, especially when you consider how much shorter the other three, the last three parts of it are. Well, and so I, I don't know if, I mean, I think we have to eventually just get into, you know, the, the kinetic chaotic, frenetic energy of I, I, I'm going to call it a movie but I, I don't know that I mean that and even even if I was to assume and I don't believe this but I, I'm just kind of being I'm being hyperbolic now if if you were to assume that he just went into a room where you could edit edit film and just did a bunch of weird shit not knowing how it was all going to lay out it still would take some time but and and this is where I, I I I had to stop myself from going down this rabbit hole, but it was like I bet I don't know, I don't bet. I know that this all means something to him, right? That the the way in which these quick cuts, the and all the subliminal, you know, the the babies being born and like mushroom clouds and like that's just two images of like dozens of random things that you see in the background that it all means something and that it's placed strategically for, to, to serve a purpose. So I'm not, so part of me goes, I'm, I'm not surprised it took that long to come out in these parts because I'm sure he fucking like, he was probably meticulous about what, what he wanted. But then it's like, then when you see it, it's like you spent four years of your life putting that together. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, man. It almost feels, yeah, it, again, like you said, it must mean something to him, and it clearly meant something to the people at the time, but when you get to the end of this thing, I, the, the big, the big note, I was, like, scrawling furiously through this thing, trying to make sense of it, and, and I was theorizing as I was taking notes, and okay, but this, who is this for? I, yeah, I don't know. I it's 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 indulgent. I mean, it's 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 for oh, him, and yeah. we are, if we choose to be, along for the ride. I mean, I was trying, I was trying all kinds of, of things. I was, I, it's, I mean, it's art, so you have to bring something of yourself, right? You have to to let it wash over you and to to bring your own viewpoint of the world. You have to frame it within your own experience. So I'm looking at the way that these images are cut together over the course of the movie and there's like you said there's a lot to do with with birth uh, and i think there's a lot to do with fatherhood and and for me speaking i'll get very personal and i'll dump my handbag on this show i mean i have a great fear of being a father i i don't want to be responsible for another life and that's and that's selfish that's fine i've made peace with that but i think i kept thinking about a razor head because that's 
the sort of the core that's one of the central themes of a razor head is the fear of fatherhood and I'm, I'm looking at that there's all kinds of images of of children being born along with him stumbling and falling like he for real let's i mean all joking aside dude can't get up this fucking mountain <laughs> he spends more time on his knees and his back and his face than he does on his feet so obviously the mountain means something to him. The mountain isn't just a physical object. It's also an object of the mind. It's something that he is trying to scale, something that he is trying to reason with. And I, I think, I, I think it, it's fatherhood. I mean, we well, see, I, we see a no, lot I, of pulsing vaginal sort of, there's this whole film is, uh, you didn't see the counselor, right? The, the Ridley Scott film. <laughs> No, I did not. The line that keeps coming in by Javier Bardem has this great line where he's describing Cameron Diaz. Spoiler alert again for you and anybody who hasn't seen it. She fucks his car. The, like the windshield of his car when he sat inside watching it. So he's got like he, everything. Nothing he's is got, left to the yeah. imagination. He's, yeah. he's got the full view. And he's describing this to the counselor character, Michael Fassbender, and the word that he uses, it's hilarious. The way he delivers it is brilliant. It's like, the whole thing was very gynecological. And, and this movie certainly goes there as well. I mean, there's, there's shots where they clearly had, you know, microscopic cameras where they're going inside a person because it's all very cellular and vascular. I, you, I, yeah. It could be the inside of an ear. It could be a vagina. It could be, gen- who, who the fuck knows what it is? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, all I wanted to say, and it, it was hard to think about the things that we normally talk about with, with either of these movies, if I'm being honest. Um, the, the unsung hero of this movie is that baby, and I just feel goddamn awful that that kid had to be in this thing totally against, totally against his will. Isn't just, that the part, part three is mostly just close-ups of the child? Yeah, but also, but like, there is a lot of that baby like as an infant in the first in the prelude as well though right, I, right i just but in general i just the kid has no idea what's going on man i don't yeah. like it i don't like it at all yeah it's very I, there's a i think there's an exploitative voyeuristic nature to both of these films i think both we could say that maybe that's not their central theme or central focus but the, these films are about voyeurism in a way y- yeah yeah i you know and you know, and I, I kept, I think what I, what I kept coming back to with Dogstar Man is not, is not how good it is because I, and I don't care. I, I, let's just be real. I, I did not enjoy it. I did not enjoy the prelude. I did not enjoy it as, as, as part of a whole or the whole. I just, I did not. But I was like, I kept going like, well, what does this reminded me of? Like, I, I parts I go like I, there were parts where I go this feels like a Nine Inch Nails music video, but then there were parts yes. towards the toward, there were parts towards the end where I thought I was watching the So What You Want video by Beastie Boys, and and I got some very Lynch vibes too. I actually got some I got some Enter the Void vibes from watching it as well. Just parts of of how the editing worked and whether or not Stan Brackage was uh, the the inspiration for any for for Lynch. Or Trent Reznor, or you know, whoever, like even like somebody like Fincher. The chaotic nature of this editing, of putting this together, you know, I'm I'm really trying to think back, of like old movies, where this was an editing style, and I I really can't do it. And I think, whether or not this is the Genesis moment, I don't know, but like this is it's influential, and and like well, 
look at this. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like a dick when I. But look at this plotless movie and the the weird chaos that it is. Well, what if we took that same editing style, that 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 same energy, but applied it to something with plot, with a story, and like and that so like that kind of quick cutting, like like not all movies have to be quick cutting, but like that propulsive nature, I think is great. I think it works really well when there's something to that you're being propelled into, but this is not it. This is not propelling you into anything except for just randomness. And, and, and again, I, I know there's something in there with like industrialization and again, like growth and destruction, whether that's like a growth of a person or a growth of a, of a civilization, whatever. But like, there's also just color and, and smoke and fog and close-ups of the snow. Like I, I, there, a lot of it is just stuff. It's just filler. Um, yeah. It's, it's all very way. abstract. Yeah. I mean, and he is, he, so I, I was like, I have to, I have to figure out what was going on in this man's mind. And of course I couldn't, obviously never, never going to be able to put my finger on it. Only, only he is going to know, I think what his intention really was, but I watched some interview some interview clips, some old footage of him, and I was expecting, you know what I was expecting was this weird, dark genius or some sort of crazy OCD wizard, and he is extremely mild-mannered, very well-spoken. He seems like a very reasonable guy, and the way that he describes his process, it's all very reasonable. He talks about himself being, he, he said he, sh he should have been a poet, but his first love is film. And so... He, he became a visual a visual poet, and he's painting directly onto the film cells, which unfortunately it sounds like that's what gave him cancer and what killed him is the, the paints that he was using. Um, but yeah, just a really reasonable guy with not a lot of love for Hollywood. I mean, he still talks about how his, his first love is narrative film, but never it seems to me like he never made one. This is this is mostly what he did. These strange, abstract, visual pieces of poetry. I going for I don't know, man. I don't I don't know what his intention was, and it's it's bugging the shit out of me. Yeah, it's and it's it's just it's a bummer that and like oh god and like we didn't even talk about. I don't think we've even mentioned that there's no sound. Yeah, he, he primarily did silent films, and and so. I got to tell you like that that I think and and silent films are are fine but like even traditional silent films there is some kind of score like I'm very I I mean I, and maybe there are and I'm just a dumbass but like there are very few silent films that I know of where they're like actually silent the whole time like no score no no anything is there so that that was just another another level of of feeling kind of infuriated, and, and and then and then part of me skewed the other way of like this feels just really lazy, like, and and, and maybe it's a choice, but then if it's a choice, I guess I I need to know more why. Yeah. And I don't I don't know the why feels like limitations, not not it feels like a practical thing versus a, an an artistic thing. Right, because then you you have a whole you have to have another person there recording sound. You know, you have to then edit and cut the the music or whatever sound you're using to the film. I mean, the two have to work in tandem. Yeah, um, I, I'm glad that you mentioned Trent Reznor. 
90s music videos because that was instantly the vibe that I got as well and almost out of like instinct because there is no sound I started hearing Nine Inch Nails songs and then as the film progressed and it got even weirder I started here I was like I, I mean I've got Pink Floyd records should I just fucking put Dark Side of the Moon on should I create my own soundtrack like I was like Jones I was like fuck now I want to listen to Pink Floyd that's like the vibe that I was getting off of this thing yeah yeah. Yeah, it really is it really is a test of patience not having some sort of driving sound, some sort any kind of score, any kind of noise or or anything like that. Yeah, I mean absolutely. You, you you there's no way that he isn't an influence on the music videos of the day of you know, the 80s and 90s and and probably even he's a he's he is a pioneer. I don't think that we can take that away from him. No, sh- yeah, yeah. Um so, so, but if we, <laughs> God, I really feel like I'm rushing this. I don't mean to, but if we, if we hammer home on the question of, of should dog star man be in the book, meaning should this be one of the a thousand and one movies that you must see before you die? No. Yeah. I, here's the deal. It's another one of these films. I, Probably unlike you, I think you've you've already kind of made your your case on this, but I I didn't regret watching it. I mean, I I like I like being challenged. I like experimental film. I I want something to sort of force me to project myself into it and to to yeah. bring my own framework and my own view of the world. And and I don't, obviously, I'm not saying that you don't, but I, I I agree with you. It shouldn't be in the book. It's probably not worth your casual cinephiles time but i mean it's i mean if you really want to challenge if you really want to have your test your your patience tested for 75 minutes i encourage people to watch it but no it isn't something you have to see before you die do you have uh, a replacement I, for dog for dog star man i i don't uh, i mean i could i could replace it with almost anything well i'm replacing it with Mulholland drive well, there you go. That's that, that's totally fine by me. If we can get more Lynch in the book, um, well, I mean, there's no there's no Gaspar no in the book. I think Irreversible might have been in there at one point, but I don't think it is anymore. I'd be happy yeah, yeah. to see some Gaspar no in there, or yeah. or even or even Holy Motors. Yeah, that would be That'd plenty be cool. of other experimental crazy films that are definitely more deserving of your time. Holy Motors, if for no other reason than that fucking great musical interlude <laughs> i remember when i when i mentioned it as my recommend like what like what, which had to have been like two years ago now you were that was that was like the first thing you jumped to was the the accordion like intermission basically yeah oh, i loved it i was like yes i was just head over heels in love with that film at that point yeah that's funny um all right so do we want to do we just want a hard pivot now yeah, we'll just straight into La Jete. Okay, so La Jete uh, is w- was written and directed by Chris Marker. Um, I, we'll get into him in a second. Um, so let's talk about who is in the movie. And again, that's kind of a you know a movie or a, a series of photos. But however, we'll talk about that too. Uh, so we have. Um, uh, Jean Negroni as the narrator, although he is uh, the narrator if you saw the French version. And now this was even like, so William Klein 
was credited as the narrator, but also it could have been somebody named James Kirk. I don't know. Klein is who's on IMDb, so that's who I'm going with. Um, Helene Chatelaine plays the woman. Uh, Davos Hanek plays the man. Jacques Ledoux plays the experimenter. Uh, Legia Bernice plays a woman from the future. And Janine Kleina plays another woman from the future. Um, this came out in 62. Uh, it's 28 minutes long. Chris Marker does have another film in the book. Um, it is called Sans Soleil. It's a documentary of sorts. Um, I have the Criterion 2-pack. I have not seen Sans Soleil. Um, and at some point in my life, I, I, I will. Um, there, there are some accolades to talk about. Um, it won the Pre-Jean Vigo Award for Best Short Film when it came out. Um, there was a couple of... Uh, Years later accolades that I think are interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you saw these. Uh, so in 2010, Time Magazine ranked La Jete number one on its top 10 time travel movies. And um, in 2012, uh, Sight and Sound, uh, the Sight and Sound poll called La Jete the 50th greatest film of all time. Those are some, that's some high praise right there. I'm going to assume that you being the Back to the Future fan that you are take issue with that not being the number one time travel film. Well, I, uh, well, okay. Are we talking about like movies that are just more enjoyable or movies that like try to tackle it in a serious way? I mean, right, right. You know, uh, a little, a little bit of here, a little bit of there, you know, a little column A, a little column B. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to hem and haw too much about that. Um, but speaking of, of going from a movie that had a very polarizing Rotten Tomato scores, this one, 93% audience and critical. Uh, so generally loved across the board. Um, I, I, I'll talk a bit about Chris Marker, who um, f from everything that I was able to read, and there is not necessarily a lot to read about this guy. He was mysterious. Um, his name was not Chris Marker. He was born Christian Francois Boucher Villeneuve. Uh, and it, if, if that is not a French name, I don't know what the fuck is. Uh, so there you go. Um, he he was always elusive about his past. Uh, he didn't like to do interviews. He didn't like photos. Um, he claimed to be born in uh, Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, although other people said he was born in Belleville and other people said he was born in um, someplace called Nuili. Nah, I can't say this. Somewhere somewhere else in France. Um, uh, people believe that it was Belleville, but but he contested that. Who knows? Um, I, I just, I really, I want to read some of this shit because I just think it's fascinating. So apparently at some point uh, during the German occupation of France, he was, he was a philosophy student. And then he joined um, the French resistance. And then it said at some point he joined up with the United States Air Force as a paratrooper. Although the next thing he says is some sources claim that that is not true. So, ah. Who knows? But he he, he started uh, as a journalist. He was writing uh, for a, a, a Marxist magazine and then ultimately started writing for uh, uh, a group that we've talked about a few times, that Cahours de Cinema, um, but really got into um, taking photos. He was a photographer and he did a lot of stuff around um, the 1952 Helsinki Olympic Games. And he did uh, he, he worked a lot with other French filmmakers, uh, one that we've done a film on, Agnes Varda, but also Alain uh Ren, uh, Renat and uh, Jacques Demy. Um, and he was an essayist. He was a photographer. He was a filmmaker. He did a lot of art installations. This guy just did fucking everything if it was art and if he could. 
and that's what I got about him. Um, I believe I believe he said that my film should be enough for them. <laughs> yes, I saw that too. Yes, when asked about his secretive nature, yeah, when when asked about like why is he so secretive, that the basically the answer should be in his movies. Um, so the the plot essentially of La Jete is uh, basically we're on the precipice of like World War Three, and uh, a select group of people have made it underground and this group is able to send the man uh back in time and as he as he does that he meets this woman and he's had uh visions of this woman i think when he was at from when he was a kid and um and basically he starts to kind of fall for this woman as he as he he continues to go back to the present day and then back i don't know how far back exactly he goes i don't think that i don't think they really explained that but he he does go back um and so, and so, uh, ultimately, he sees. Uh, God, what is it? He sees himself die. Is I, I? I'm trying to. Yeah, he ends up going back to the movie. Opens with him as a kid with his family on the pier, uh, by the airport, and he sees a man killed. And you know, if you're familiar, this will start to sound familiar. If you've seen Twelve Monkeys, he ends up yes. in the end of the film. He ends up seeing his own death. Yes, that's that. That is what I was driving to exactly. Yeah. Um, so and and that's again that's that's the movie. it's very short um but in terms of like let's you know dog star man is this colorful chaotic random silent mishmash lachete is very different lachete is black and white it's completely narrative in that it is uh just narration the entire time and it is a series of photographs that is all that it is it is a series of photographs uh, what lengths they linger on screen are indeterminable. Some are short, some are quick. Um, but through a series of photos is how this story is told. Um, and I will say, like, right out the gate, I thought that was fascinating. I really enjoyed, and I think, like, I'm so glad that, and I don't know if he ever intended to do this, but, like, this, like, 28 minutes is, like, the perfect length of time to do something like this i thought it worked really well for the story they were trying to tell oh it definitely is and it has it goes completely as you say the the photographs i believe he called it a visual novel um it it has the the opposite problem that uh dog star man has in the sense that this film is all about stillness because they are still photos whereas in dog star man i was praying for any kind of stillness <laughs> or a shot that would last more than 10 seconds. Yeah. Well, and and uh and yeah, there was something about like the way that certain shots would would linger and yet other shots like the way that they would like clip in rapid succession to really I mean, they nobody was moving, but to to make it feel like they were moving was such a, a, a genius genius way of storytelling and um this actually i i just want to get this out of the way now because i don't want to forget my my unsung hero for this is uh jean revel uh the editor of this uh this movie um because i i don't i don't know how much work he actually got to do with chris marker but the way in which these photos are edited together the length of times that they choose to do it i i give a lot of credit to that guy i mean i feel like he really put 
this story together. Um, and I just want to give him give him a little shout out before we oh, go too much as, further. As well, you should. I think we're we're definitely on the same page there. I think uh, I think it's a good it's good to hit upon the difference in in lengths of some of the shots because you as you said there is no there is no motion in this film except for one sequence that they shot on film where we see the woman waking up and it's so beautiful and sublime and because up to that point all you've had is still images it's kind of like a blink and you miss it moment but if you catch it i mean it's i don't know what it is it's it's very provocative yeah um but yeah when you get to the end especially there's a there's almost a violence in the way that it's edited and there is, even though there are still photos, there is, you do get a sense of motion with it. I mean, I, it is a, I'll, I'll tip my hand now, it's, it is a perfect short film. And I think Marker, in contrast to, to Brackage, he was a pioneer of a different kind. And of course, the, the influence for this goes just as far as, as Brackage clearly did. I, and to have a, a film like 12 Monkeys come from this, I mean, I think that's, I think, it's it's one of Gilliam's strongest films, I think it's and it's a fantastic script. I think they did a really great job of of expanding the story. Yeah, I it's so funny. I, I don't I don't I'm gonna I'm gonna nerd out for as a theater guy here for a second, but there's a style of of um theater it's called it's called composition work. And essentially it's you know, we what we do it like when I teach a class is I'll pick an old play. Uh, something that's been around for a, a good long while, and they and these students will use it as source material, and they they basically put together a ten minute version of the play. But it's not like they're not trying to tell the movie in ten, or they're not trying to tell the play in ten minutes. They're riffing on it. They're like, what what parts of the dialogue do we like? What characters do we like? What themes do we like? And then they they make their own version of it, a ten minute riff on whatever it is. But I always I I like when when directors that I, I watch do theater pick plays that are short, right? Like a play that maybe if, if done traditionally only runs about like an hour long, but, but like audiences can like, it's not uncommon to see a play, you know, at, at the professional setting, that's about 90 minutes with no intermission. Like it's just a 90 minute play. And so to see a director take a play that's not too long and then, and then they can sort of imbue their own, like, moments within it right things that aren't in the script but that are that are still elevating the story and it feels like that's what gilliam did with with la Jete. it's like here's this great short film there's obviously not a lot of of plot and character development because it's just it's just not long enough for that to really be the case so let's let's take this interesting idea and expand upon it and while there are parts of 12 monkeys that don't necessarily work for me overall i enjoy the movie and I, well, I like, just, like most Gilliam films, it's too long. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is too long. Um, but I just, I really, it, I, and I, I, the way you phrase that is kind of stuck in my. It's a, it is a perfect short film, and it, it, it really is. I don't, I like. It's, it's sad, right? Because uh, Dog Star Man is twenty. Well, the prelude is like twenty-four minutes long. I don't know how many times I checked the tracker to see how much time was left. A lot. It was a lot. I was this, I was willing myself not to do it, but yeah, I fell into that trap too. But with but with with La Jete, not once. Yeah. Not and once. then you're and, you're sad you're sad when it's over. Yeah, I was that's that's exactly what I was gonna say. It's like I could have, and not that it needed to be much longer, but like it's like oh, this could have been forty five minutes. I I'm I'm still here. I'm 
I'm yeah. interested in what's going on and where this is and what's what's going to happen. And and again, if you've seen Twelve Monkeys, you you already kind of know. But it's also like that doesn't matter. Seeing this story in this way, I, I'm able to you know go okay. I I know where we're going, but let's let's see what this journey does and. I, I, you know, and just, I didn't just trying to give Chris Marker some praise as a photographer. And like, I don't know. I, I wonder it's, it's weird because it's, again, there's no, there's no film, but I'm wondering like what was left on the cutting room floor in a way, like what photos were taken that didn't make it. And, and knowing that like, he probably took thousands of photos and, and that we only saw just this selection of them. And, and, and again, him and, and the work that Jean Ravel did, like of putting them together, like which of these photos are going to be the photos that make this story. I I know that I, I, on some of them are composed so beautifully. There are two that really stuck with me. One of them is is an early one with the. Uh, it's it's again it's like a you would say in in any sort of other narrative film it's a throwaway moment but the shot of the kid with his parents and then it cuts to just an image of his feet he's he's standing on the fence to see above it and we see his feet in between yeah the, the sort of the the grates in the fence I, I love that that shot like really spoke to me there's another one where it's it's his last visit with her or like the next to the last visit and they're in a museum and they're looking at all the different uh, exhibits. They're looking at the old animal, the stuffed animals and the, the dinosaur bones. And there's this shot where they come to an aviary with a load of stuffed birds. And just the way that that one is lit, because we've got, it's, 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 it's not quite a symmetrical shot, but it almost, it almost is. You have the aviary, aviary in front uh, them standing in front of it, and then behind them is the sun coming in through the window from a very high up window. Just the way that that's framed is sublime. Oh yeah, yeah. Like like I, so many of the other shots in the film. Yeah, and 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 I kept thinking too about like it, it's it's not a mo it's not a motion picture, but like some of the like techniques that we've talked about from like like there are crossfades and there are fades to black and there are jump cuts and quick cuts and. And it's funny to talk about that in reference to a bunch of, of photos, but like, you know, and there, there are photos where we'll, you know, we'll cut from the face of the woman to, to like a bird or to, to like a landscape shot. And then there are that, like a sequences of shots with uh, the man at the end where, where he, it looks like he's running down the pier. Like that was just, I don't know. It, it, it was amazing. And yeah, it's, it's transcendent. They create motion out of stillness. Yeah. I, it's so and it's so funny. I mean, I when I I watched, I I think in a good way. I watched these both in one day because as they're shorts, and I wanted to kind of have them in mind. And like, I'm so glad I I watched Dog Star Man first. That like, that is a hundred percent the right choice. It it abs it absolutely <laughs> is. And um, and then yeah, and then yeah, it's it wasn't just that this one was was more. It, it's I don't know. It's more everything. It, it makes more sense. It's more entertaining. And yeah, maybe it's more surface level. Maybe because of all the narration there's a very specific story being told like you. And even if, if it doesn't make all the sense in the world, it, it, it's a very linear story. Like I, even, and even though he jumps back, I mean, it progresses very much in a beginning, middle and end fashion. And that's not what Brackage was doing. And I get that. I'm not, I'm not saying that the movie isn't bad because there's no plot. The movie is bad because it's a bad movie. It's a <laughs> glorified, it's a glorified home video masquerading as an art project. 
Yeah. And and that's the thing is, and obviously, you know, we're, I think the 60s is a lot, I think, where a lot of this was starting to happen. And, and I think more so over over the decades that would come. But it is possible to make like, you know, an allegory of a film where, you know, where the movie is talking about something, but what we're really talking about is this, right? And and obviously, I feel like that's what Dogstar Man was, but I think even even by, like, 60s standards, I wonder if people, real like, you know, like, if people were just, like, fucking on, on, on acid when they watched it, like, oh, yeah, man, I got it. Like, I saw the whole, I saw the world, man, and I don't know. I, I'm just wondering, like, was I, well, let I me, been high? Let me tell you, as someone who has done acid, yeah, that movie is, that movie is the epitome of a bad fucking trip, man. <laughs> like, I'm glad that uh, there's enough time and distance between me experimenting with that horrible fucking drug. Because I, I would, I would fear getting flashbacks watching that, man. I wouldn't, I'd be on the fucking ceiling. Uh <sighs> But I just just to to stay with Lajete for a moment, yeah. and uh, I to to bring it back to because it's almost impossible to not talk about this film and Gilliam and Twelve Monkeys, yeah, because of how well the the two work together and what a what a beautiful tribute Twelve Monkeys is to Lajete. One of the best things that I think was ever said about it was Gilliam. I saw an interview with him. It may even be uh, part of that hamster factor documentary that's on the disc is he's talking about his love for uh la jete before 12 monkeys even came his way and prior to making 12 monkeys he says he had never seen the film with the english narration so he didn't know the story you know verbatim but he knew the story because even if you don't know what the narrator is saying it's it's edited and shot so well the 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 way those photographs are are composed is you you can get a sense of the story without knowing everything that's being said and which yeah. is just i i don't know how much how much higher you can praise the film than that yeah it's, it's a great point and and yeah it's you know and the the camera is doing so much of the work i mean obviously the the actors you know they're being asked to, to pose and they're being asked to to try to you know it's tough to but i mean you, you never want to, as an actor, you never want to think about emoting, right? You can't force emotion. You know, you try to live in the circumstances. But in something like this, where you're, essentially you are, you're just, you're, you're, you're being posed and framed specifically and, and, and being asked to give a certain look. And, you know, for them, you know, for these actors to convey these looks and, and have them, have them work in tandem with the story being told it's pretty amazing. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing that it all came together. And again, I, any, any longer, and maybe it falls apart. Maybe it all doesn't work, but the, the length for, and I, I hate, I don't even want to call it an experiment because I feel like I'm denigrating the film if I do that, but like as experiments go, it, it's great and it works. And it's unlike the other, unlike Dogstar man, this one, it's it, it was just so beautifully put together. I don't know how else to say it. The way yeah. that everything was composed, it was great. Yeah, uh, transcendent is the word that I keep coming back to. It's the word that I can't escape when it comes to talking about La Jete. Um, transcendent, yeah, man, I mean, transcendent uh, as an adjective, not transcendence, the Wally Pfister movie that was not good. That, uh, well, yeah, it, well, another shout out to our sibling podcast, Below Freezing, there. 
check out. That's a good episode, man. I liked that one. Oh boy, yeah, I it. it yeah, I, I, I'm. You know, it's so funny. I'm, I'm totally. I'm getting hung up on my words. But I wish I knew more about photography. I wish there was more out there about marker to, 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 to be more competent and and intellectual about this. But the truth is, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a montage. It's, a, it's a, uh, it's a collage of photos, put together in a very specific way to tell quite an interesting story. And, you know, if you have if the form is cool and the content is interesting and you got them together, you're, you, you're, you're somewhere you, you've got something going for you. Right. And, and it's the right mixture of both. And the outcome is La Jete and the outcome is, is a damn fine, fun little treat. It's, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect and sublime. I love it. And, and for anybody listening that wants to see it and hasn't, uh, I believe you can get both a French and English narration on, on YouTube. I've I've seen both. I saw the the French one years ago for the podcast. I I put on the English one that way I could kind of just focus on the imagery and not have to worry about the dialogue so much while I was taking notes. But either one are are both great. Yeah, I I I did I did only do the English, but um I should have done the the French just to kind of let the images pass over me. But but it wasn't it was great. It was I will say taking notes watching the watching the movie with the English um, narration. I didn't. You know, it was, I didn't have to look down, like, I, cause I, I've gotten in the habit of typing. I used to write them down, but I've, I've typed them in. So I have, it's all in one spot. I, I didn't have to look down. I, I was really, because of not having to worry so much about, and, in a, and that's the thing, in a real way, the narration, like, it, it's telling you, it's, it's telling you what's happening. But I know there were moments where I, I checked out of listening specifically. You know what I mean? And just let, I just let the images do what they were doing and, and, and help tell the story. I didn't, there are moments where I didn't need the narration. Exactly. Well, that's what I was going to say. Gilliam didn't flat out say it, but he, in a way, did say you don't need the narration. Just yeah. allow the images to wash over you. Um, just just let it take you because it's a it's a beautiful journey. Yeah. So so I I'm just, I have to do this for posterity's sake. But um, hey Ian, do you think that La Jete should be in the book? Oh, hundred percent. And if yeah. we're if we're narrowing it down, this would, you know, if I had to pare the thousand and one down to a hundred, this would easily be in the top one hundred. Oh, that's so tough. That's tough because of just how many good movies are in the book, but also from a, but from a stand from a standpoint of, like you've got you've got a half hour of your day to watch yeah. this, and it's so unlike most things that you would see. It's it's certainly of all the ones that I've done, I think I've. I've honestly, I've probably only done 40 to 45%, if that, but it is yeah. one of the most unique pieces in there. For sure. Absolutely. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, so it's, it's a joint split decision. Um, and what I mean by that is that that's two no's for dog star man and two yeses for La Jete. But maybe we're not smart enough to get dog star man. So please. Do you want to, do you want to give it one last kick while it's down? dog star man yeah i mean again like i i just i feel so bad for that kid well i feel bad for the dog while we're talking about feeling bad if there's a point in that movie where like the dog is just sick of his shit like he can't get up the mountain and the dog is tired of just waiting around for him there's a shot where the dog just fucking takes off yeah which i i it's probably not supposed to be funny but i was fucking rolling <laughs> 
absolutely rolling in laughter. That's the note that I took is like, even the dog is sick of this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Ain't nobody got time for this. Nope. Um, Motherfucker can't get up that goddamn mountain. <laughs> so, so that's a no on Dog Star Man and a yes on Lajite. But please, we would love to know your thoughts and feelings about both of these these interesting short films. So please find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. You can uh, support the show at patreon.com slash 1001 by one. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and many, many, many more. Um, and uh, we're taking the word dog from this week and we're we're taking it to next week we're jumping we're jumping into the next decade we're going to a patreon pick and i i I don't even know how else to say it like this this will be a gush fest uh about one of about one of one of one just a great movie from one of the best oscar years ever it's top 25 films of all time for me there you go there you go uh but until then I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.